Oh, mama. Elvis, is that you? No, it's Johnny Bravo. Welcome, everyone, to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. We are Ian McCurtis. We are Jake Curtis. We are Blue, the intern dog. We are Buffy, the HR dog, a.k.a. Mayor McCheese. Mm-hmm. And today, AKA we are talking about Billy the Sausage. liar. We are talking about the liar of Orpheus. From the Liar of Orpheus by Nick Cave in the Bad Seats. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and mentioned uh ian before we start our episode i feel like you know we're going to be in for a sort of bard like experience here with the liar of orpheus i was saying we should do a drink roll call oh okay hit me with it a little asmr action for our listeners i am drinking a spindrift sparkling water and it is raspberry lime new flavor haven't tried it before i'm drinking i made a little um concoction of sorts Oh, that's right. Target sick. has a uh, a limited edition rainbow sorbet sparkling water. Oh wow! So I have it's half that half mango orange spindrift. Wow, you mixed them. And what's the what's the review? The rainbow sorbet sparkling water kind of makes everything taste like cotton candy. I don't, it's it's all right. I don't love it. Yeah, I could, I would get tired of a cotton candy flavored thing after a while well but it's not cotton candy flavor it's supposed to be lime pineapple what's rainbow sherbet lime pineapple strawberry but i don't know it, it just tastes a little like i don't know nerds starburst like like candy like a like you mix too many candies together and you're getting like yeah exactly but you That's still like it because it tastes kind of it has a good taste but yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And, you know, no no calories. So It's like, it's like you remember when you had to drink, like, cough syrup as a kid and, you know, sometimes your parents would get that brand that, like, tasted just like cherries. Like, there was no bad taste to it. Remember that? I don't remember that. Well, I loved that stuff. I couldn't stop drinking it. Probably explains a lot about how I am now. But, yeah, let's talk about Liar of Orpheus. I know you told me you actually made yourself sick. You were so excited about this episode. You were up all night last night. You know, th- just yeah, dreaming in, about this episode. I had to pound some research, so it's tree pollen season. So I went in the backyard and just snorted some lines of tree pollen to stay awake. Hey, listen, you know who else was pounding stuff is you know Eurydice. I think Eurydice might have been getting pounded. No, I think she was the pounder in this situation, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll find out more about later. Yeah, so so title title track of Lyra Orpheus came out September twentieth, two thousand four. Oh, nice little official notes right there. Yeah, uh, fans have gone on to say that this album is apparently, you know, was kind of like mixed reviews, but overall it's like a Nick Cave like base, like fan base favorite because it has like a little bit of everything that he'd been doing up until that point. Oh, yeah, I think that's, I mean, we've done songs on this this album before, but this and top this, tier Nick Cave for me. This is no exception. I, I, as someone who, you know, this is not an album that I think I pulled on our draft episode. Um, definitely, I'm sure you had it on the draft. Um, listeners who have heard that episode, we did a Nick Cave draft episode where we each like drafted like a, like a sports draft, our, all our favorite albums. So if you're interested in that, we're on Apple Music and Spotify. So check out that episode. We didn't have any rhyme or reason necessarily for this song. I just put the album on and... Ian was like, hey, let's pick, let's pick a song from this one. And I listened to all of Abattoir Blues. And then right as soon as I got to Liar of Orpheus, I'm like, this is the one I want to do. So, yeah. Um, where do you want to get started? So this album's produced by Nick Launay, who worked with The Birthday Party. He did the Release the Bat single and the Junkyard album. And then didn't work with The Bad Seeds again until Nocturama. And then he's done all the albums since then, save for Ghostine. 
this guy has also worked with Yeah Yeah Yeah's and Gang of Four. He did the Idols album, Joys and Active Resistance. Good album. A couple of Arcade Fire albums. Eh. Um, done a lot of stuff. Also, should mention Arcade Fire has a song about Orpheus. It's never over, parentheses, Hey Orpheus. What album is that from? It's from Reflector, one of the best songs on that album. Love that song. Oh, wait, that's, the, that's a different song. Uh, anyway. They have a song called Hey Orpheus and a song called Hey Eurydice. Oh, cool. A little uh, full circle moment there. Well, first thing that stuck out to me with this song was that it felt very, uh, like, I think it's probably the, like, connotation, or, or not the connotation, but the, the context of Orpheus and his lyre. And Orpheus is symbolically, like, a figure that's associated with the creative type, the musician, the bard. So I just immediately imagined Nick Cave like in a tunic with like a scroll and he unrolled it and it just kind of went all the way to the ground and that's how he was like reading the lyrics to this song. Yeah, Orpheus is kind of like the archetype of yeah, an artist. Yeah. Orpheus was not a god, but like had a lot of interaction with the gods in Greek mythology. Which is has always been kind of the fun thing about bards in mythology and like as someone who's played uh, Dungeons and Dragons in the past, bards are always really cool characters because they can invoke spells and godlike powers, but they may be mere mortals. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love uh, mythology and whenever Nick Cave, it's, it's just that it's just his. You can just tell this is his shit. This is one of the best bad seed songs I've heard. So Orpheus may have even been a real person. A lot of the ancient writers thought he was a real person. Aristotle did not, mm -hmm. but most everyone else did think he actually existed. Wasn't it Virgil? Virgil was the one who was credited with writing like the original um, Orpheus story. Could be. I could be wrong. I, I know it's before Homer, and Virgil's before Homer, I believe. So it could be. I'm not sure, but that sounds right. I think there's also some versions where Eurydice is like can, not considered like whatever it can and means in that lineage, but Eurydice isn't always included in, in the stories. Yeah, what's cool about mythology is, I mean, it's the same as superheroes, right? Like, there's different versions of Batman's origin. You know, yeah. everybody has their own take on it. And mythology is the same way. There's different versions of these stories, which I always thought was cool. Well, it also, like, this is something I always remember you saying whenever... We've talked about comics in the past, but, you know, pictures and words have been the longest standing form of, like, communication since, like, the cavemen were, like, draw drawing pictures on the cave walls and stuff. So it makes so much sense that Greek mythology would turn into, you know, Marvel and DC heroes and stuff like that. Well, it's like it's like archetypes. It's, it's the thing that's, like, I think it's why so many people are drawn towards uh, pre-existing, like universes yeah because it's a shorthand if i want to make a uh let's say my dog just died and i, I want to deal with i want to i want to create something that is me dealing with that i could write an original story where i have to like uh establish my character establish the people around me establish my dog or i could play in the sandbox of Greek mythology and make it about a mythological fig figure and their dog. And that does all the work for me. Like the character's already established, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's fun to play in these sandboxes because it's like a, it's, it's, it's a shortcut. It's like that game you were playing uh, recently, Tachia, Tachia, however you say it. How so? Well, in that you can step into these different oh, yeah, creatures you, you and can, roles yeah. and kind of make them into something else. Like, you know, when, in, when I was over playing it uh, and I took the form of a trash can, and I just was able to, like, move across the map so quickly. We we just beat it uh, two nights ago. Oh, Great. congratulations. But, yeah, yeah, you can, like, I, I if I want to deal with some personal shit, I, I can do it on my own, or I can have Spider-Man deal with it, and then it, it, it saves me so much time and effort. Everybody's already has a relationship with Spider-Man. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, that's why these are universal character, like you said, archetypes, because you can take this familiar character, person, you know, icon and tell a story about how maybe you should avoid drugs in the 80s. 
So Orpheus is the son of Calliope, mm-hmm. who's one of the muses. Uh, you might remember her if you've watched Hercules. Or if you've read the comic Sandman, Calliope is pretty important in that. And in the Sandman comic, Orpheus is actually Sandman's son. Sandman's oh, the father. Nice little flip uh, of the script. Yeah, Orpheus is in Sandman quite a bit. But anyway, in mythology, the son of uh, Calliope and a mythological king named Agris. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And he has, uh, his wife is Eurydice, who's like a wood nymph. Mm-hmm. Like a mythological creature. And uh, one day soon after their marriage, a satyr confronts Eurydice and she flees. And she trips, falls down, a viper bites her, and she dies. She goes to hell. She goes to hell. And Orpheus is like, well, I won't stain for that. He goes to hell to bring her back. And he makes a deal with the devil as it was, and they're like, "Okay, you can bring her back to the under uh, to the land of the living, but you have to walk straight there. Don't look back at her." Hmm. So they travel back to the land of the living. He reaches the surface and looks back, but she hasn't reached the surface yet. And the deal was they both had to be at the surface, and you know, broke the broke the terms of the deal and. He didn't get to have her back. That Hades is a slippery son of a bitch. Plato thought that Orpheus was a coward, that he should have been willing to die for his love and should have just went to hell to be with her, which is an interesting (laughs) take. Yeah, it's either that or you, like, get to stay, continue to, like, live your life with an instrument that is, you know, so beautiful sounding that it makes you say, oh, my God, out loud, you know? And this is a a theme that other cultures have used. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories from the Bible of uh, Lot, Lot's wife and Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know this one? Why don't you tell the listeners? Uh, so there's a character in the Old Testament named Lot, and Sodom and Gomorrah are these two cities that are full of sin, and God is going to destroy them, basically, because they're so godless and mm-hmm. they're full of heathens. But an angel warns Lot's wife um, and tells her to flee. And the angel's like, don't look back at the city, though. But she looks back. And, of course, she looks back. Her whole life is there, everyone she loves. Mm -hmm. And God turns her into a pillar of salt. Oh, yeah. Which is just one of the best examples of how much of an asshole Old Testament God is. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a great, uh, Kurt Vonnegut goes into the story in Slaughterhouse-Five, and he says, uh, the quote is, Lot's wife, of course, was told not to look back where all those people and their homes had been, but she did look back, and I love her for that because it was so human. Mm-hmm. So she was turned into a pillar of salt, so it goes. Hmm. It's just the way she goes. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great story. It's also, it kind of puts into perspective that, like, you know, such a big thing. It's always been a big thing, but I just feel like moving back to Kentucky, something I've noticed is just there's billboards everywhere that just says, Jesus, I love you. You seen those? Mm -hmm. And there wasn't really anything like that in San Diego. Like there were definitely mega churches there, but there weren't billboards for like church and shit like that. And it, it, it would make sense if you taught somebody from a, like if somebody from a young age read, that Sodom and Gomorrah story about Lot, it'd be easy to understand why people live in such fear as like religious people. Because if you teach somebody from a young age that if they don't follow what God says, that they'll be turned to a pillar of salt, that's like a pretty scary idea. Uh, no, the God in the Old Testament is one of the best villains in all of like storytelling. He is evil. I mean, he's horrible. Yeah. He's vengeful. He's jealous. He's awful. He's so scary. Well, it almost seems sometimes like he's just, he's also sort of vindictive, like, just like... Yeah, he's prone to human emotion, and that's why there's so many ties to Greek mythology, because all those gods are very human. They they get jealous, and Mm -hmm. they become enamored with people, and, you know, the god of the New Testament is, is very, like, above everything. Yeah, yeah. But god of the Old Testament has human emotion. Well, there's that one story where Jesus and the apostles were joking that, you know... 
God wasn't really carrying a big package. And so, <laughs> you know, there was an earthquake. Like metaphorically speaking? There was, uh, well, you'll see what, uh, there was an earthquake that destroyed a, a nearby city. And, it, you know, one of the apostles, like family was completely decimated and it was a giant phallic building that had fallen on it. And God said, what were you saying about my package? New Testament God, I think, had a more of a sense of humor. You know what I mean? Are you uh, working on a, a quick ten for your stand-up career? That's my first. That's my first quick one. Um, quick one, a tight one. That's a. T- it's a tight one. Yeah, I get up there, I tell that joke, I get off. At I home, wouldn't be mad at it. Your... In and out. <laughs> um. So yeah, this this song kind of retells the story. But in Nick's version, Orpheus's liar basically kills anyone who hears it. Yeah. Like their brains explode and, you know, it's like this, this instrument of the apocalypse. So it, I've been watching, I found this Instagram page where it's all clips of like The Simpsons. And I watched this one last night and it, it made me think of of the energy that... Nick Cave is giving off lyrically and 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 vocally in this song, but <laughs> there's this line where it's like they're trying to like Lisa they need something for the house, and Bart's like here I have the money, and then Homer says really quickly and he's like stupid Bart and his money, <laughs> <laughs> and it just reminded me of like like this reminded me the whole time of like I could I couldn't stop picturing Homer Simpson holding the liar in this because the guy that Orpheus or the version of Orpheus that we get in this song just seems like, like it could be played for laughs. Like he's kind of a clown. Like there's like all of these sort of itchy and scratchy, like violent moments, like just imagining her eyes popping out of her head from hearing a guitar. You know what I mean? Like you can see like itchy, like accidentally like connected the guitar strings to the back of Scratchy's head. And whenever Scratchy starts playing his new guitar, they cause his eyes to pull out. You know what I mean? There's just sort of a slapstick element to these passages that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop thinking about. They're really, it's kind of a funny song. Oh, for sure. It's it's very funny. This is, I I miss whimsical Nick Cave like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fun. There's there. And he's actually, he actually managed to fit in a one liner here. That's not cringe. Uh, where she was like, stop playing that fucking thing or I'll stick it up your orifice. That line's great. I like the like fake out where you think he's going to say fuck. Uh, uh-huh. He gave the wire a pluck. He heard it sound so beautiful. He gasped and said, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I've always yeah, thought fun. the line, where is it? He woke up God from a deep, deep sleep. God was a major was player in heaven. I was thinking about that one. <laughs> I don't know why. I just always thought that line was so funny because it's like the most obvious. It's like. He looked up and saw the sky was blue. Blue mm-hmm. was a normal color for the sky to be. It's like the most obvious thing you could say. Yeah. Like to the point where it's funny. There's Yeah, it's a... Uh, what do they call that? It's not a non sequitur, is it? I, I should know what a non sequitur really is, but... I'm not sure, but yeah, that's Latin. Like, that fits the theme of the episode. I, I might be completely off base with that, but um, yeah, you're, you're spot on. There's a lot of lines like that that like you just are listening to it and you kind of chuckle or smile to yourself like... And the song really repeat like rewards repeat listens because each little stanza verse, whatever you want to call them, is unique and interesting. So, so basically, in the song, Orpheus kills Eurydice uh, with his music, and then annoys God when he hits a G minor seven, and God sends him down to hell, and then. Yeah, it's like it's like Homer like strangling Bart for playing his guitar too -hmm. much. You know, he's like trying to watch the game downstairs, and every time Bart starts playing, you know, Homer gets distracted. It's very um, it gives off the feeling of all the memes about like the annoying guy at the party playing acoustic guitar. That's Orpheus. Yeah, absolutely. And I I I have been that guy before, so I I have lived that role. And then God himself is like, shut the fuck up. I think I've told this story before on the pod, but I remember vividly being in this weird era where I was still kind of like hanging out with some friends that I had in high, had had in high school after I graduated. 
that were maybe like 15 or 16. I was like 19. And I started, it was probably more like 19. I was 19, they were 17. But I remember them being still at in high school when I was hanging out with them. And they had invited me to this birthday party at Garrett Sennard's house. It was for this guy named Noah. And I didn't even Shout know this Noah. guy. I shouldn't have even been there. Um, and I was stoned out of my mind. And I just kept picking up this guitar. And he'd be like, hey, bro, can I have my guitar back? And I'm like, yeah, in a minute, I'm still playing it. And he's like, I got that for my birthday. It's my guitar. And then I'd be like, one more second. And then anytime he would like set it down, I'd go pick it up and start playing it again. And I don't know. I'm sure I looked like a huge asshole in that moment. But Were you trying to get a rise out of this guy? Was this like a no, no, low-key confrontational? Those, like, it's one of those like Jake Curtis, like, like back in the day, like I just didn't have... I didn't have any like social cues like that. So like to me, I was like, oh, I just, I was just high. Like whenever I would get high, especially it was like, I, if I wanted to eat, I ate. If I wanted to drink, I drank. If I wanted to play guitar, I played guitar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this fucking Orpheus motherfucker wouldn't let me play his guitar. Every time I played it, it seemed like I hit a G minor seven and he came over and took it from me. Have you ever played a liar before? No, but I'd love to. I don't know if I've ever seen one. I'm sure I have it at a museum. I think you've probably seen one. You're a big museum guy. Yeah, I've been to a lot of they're museums. Us- I think they're... they're Biggest strings, museum right? guy in the biz today. Yeah, yeah. You're like a 350-pound museum guy. Hey, oh, that's my, that's my minute two. <laughs> Got him. A little anyway, crowd work on minute two. Uh, I don't know if this is a huge pivot, but I really like the intro to this song because... I, we compare Nick a lot to Tom Waits, but this song has some strong Tom Waits mm. energy, especially mm-hmm. when you get to the climax at the ending and it even kind of leans into some swans territory, in my opinion, where that sort of droney guitar that plays after every verse, like goes into that, oh, mama, and it's like, it's a super like chuggy guitar part. It's so fun. Like, I, I don't, is this like a, is this like a live staple for them? Because this song would be badass live. I didn't look into that. I mean, it's definitely a song they play live. I don't know how often though. Yeah, this is, this is a good one. I just wanted to talk about that because the intro, I, I just think the intro is so cool the way it, he kind of drops in, like the music kind of drops mm-hmm. in after Nick does the intro and you, it just, it, 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 you said Hercules, and I think Hercules is another good example of like how like of a, of a great intro because I'm pretty sure that movie starts with like the three women doing like the sort of soul music number, and that intro that Hercules movie is so good. Well, it's, of it's that. the muses, isn't it? It's all, the seven muses. Yeah, it's the muses. Yeah, yeah, one of which is Calliope of the song. Yeah, yeah. Orpheus so mom, it all comes mom. together full circle. And, I'm sure Orpheus uh, is in Hercules, but I don't remember the movie well enough. I'd like to rewatch it. My favorite song in that movie is I will find my way. I can go the distance. I always was stoked to play the Hercules levels in Kingdom Hearts too. I loved those. I think it's probably the most underrated Disney movie. I used to think Lilo and Stitch by now. I think Lilo and Stitch has had its moment, but people kind of sleep on Hercules. You know, uh, the total sidebar at this point I have never watched Lilo and Stitch all the way through. I love Lilo and Stitch. Solid theaters. I I remember feeling like I thought the characters looked so cool and like the toys were when the toys were in stores when the movie came out, the toys were really cool. But I never clicked with it. And now I'm seeing videos of like how uh <laughs> Lilo's older sister was like a thirst trap back in the day. Uh, yeah. People like <laughs> a lot of discourse about that. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, that they're doing anyway. a live action remake. So whoever they cast to play her is gonna fucking go through it online. You know, another sidebar, just something I'm excited about. Did you ever have you read any of the like Akira Toriyama material outside of Dragon Ball? No. So he has a, a it's a, it's just a one volume manga called Sandland, and mm-hmm. I picked it up out of my box, uh, my boxes. I unpacked my office finally and rearranged some things. And um, 
I found out they're making a, a CGI adaptation similar to the Dragon Ball Super movie that oh, came yeah? out last year. So I'm super stoked. I don't know if it'll get a theatrical release, but I'm definitely going to watch that. Anyway, cartoons are fun. Good Other stuff. pop culture, Orpheus, Eurydice things. The game Hades, mm-hmm. they are both uh, characters somewhat important in it. And there's actually a Broadway musical called Hades Town. I don't know if you ever heard of it. That 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 is the story of the play is Orpheus and Eurydice, and it's coming to Louisville next month. I'm trying to get tickets. Yeah, I have a little uh, live music corner to do at the end of the episode, so I'll I'll talk about Hades Town a little bit there. Wait, you've seen it before? No, no. I I just well, I was gonna get tickets to Hades Town. Hmm. Uh, for Haley for her birthday. Oh, really? You know, I'll talk. I'll talk about that. Oh, later. then we can go together. I'm trying to. I've been. Uh, I've been no, like. I'm, look, I'm saying I didn't get tickets. Well, I, I, I haven't either. But I've been. Uh, every couple of days, I check. Um, what's it called? StubHub because I'm trying to find someone who's trying to get rid of their tickets on the cheap. Oh, nice. Yeah. Big StubHub guy. Any other Eurydice Orpheus pop culture? That that was the two I had. Hades and Hades Town. Who did you, um, who, where do you run into Orpheus and Eurydice in Hades, like the game? They are, um, you can run into, Orpheus is, when you die, he's playing the lyre, like, in that area where, like, you know, you mill around before oh, you start a run. Oh, he, he always greets you when you come out of the pool of blood. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And then Eurydice is one of the people you can run into during your run that gives you a boon. Oh, dude. Okay. Makes me and then they, they have like a back and forth story. Like if you talk to them, they'll talk about each other and it like unlocks a storyline. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. They announced a sequel to Hades. I saw that. There's a lot of good... I believe it's, is it Persephone? Is that who it's the main character is? I don't remember. It's a woman. I, I don't know. So let's talk I about the, um, the Sylvia Plath, uh, Ted Hughes of it all. Well, the, I don't know anything about those people, so speak on it. So this song was, um, it, it's pretty much Nick doing his version of a Ted Hughes poem called Song for a Phallus from oh. his book, Crow, The Life and Songs of the Crow, from 1971. So, so here's one uh, verse from the poem, and you'll see the resemblance. You stay in there, his daddy cried, because a dicky bird has told me, has told the world when you get born, you'll treat me like a turd. Mama, <laughs> mama. So it's the same oh. exact format, but it's about Oedipus instead of Orpheus. Is and, that considered an interpolation? Um, interpolation. I think I guess more of an homage. Okay. Because an interpolation would be like if you wrote a riff and then I didn't sample the riff, I played it myself. Mm-hmm. And this is more making, but definitely like an homage. Um, okay. But the poem, it, it's a funny poem about or uh, Oedipus is about to be born, and the dad is trying to prevent Oedipus from being born because he doesn't want Oedipus to fuck his wife. Fuck his mom. Yeah. That's great. What, so so the dad's trying to like stuff him back into... What'd you say? It's Ted Hughes? Ted Hughes, who was the husband of Sylvia Plath. Get out of here. Now, how is Sylvia Plath connected to this uh, writing-wise? Is it just that she was married to him? No connection. Um, Ted Hughes was her husband up until her death in 1963. R.I.P. He was uh, the poet laureate for Britain actually uh oh wow i'm not sure when he became that but sylvia plath got a fulbright scholarship and went to study in cambridge in england and met him and they fell in love and um ted hughes had a affair with a uh actually a nazi concentration camp survivor named osho wevel wow and uh, most people think that contributed to Sylvia Plath's suicide. Damn. Which he is pretty horrible. Like, like cheating on your wife is a bad thing to do, but when then the Holocaust for... Holocaust survivor? Oof. But then for the, you know, your wife to kill, kill herself over it, like, mm-hmm. I feel bad for everyone involved in the story. Did, um, didn't her, Sylvia Plath die from 
like asphyxiation or like she was breathed in carbon monoxide or something? Yes, this is what gets um really fucking crazy about the story. So yeah, right when Sylvia Plath killed herself, Ted Hughes wrote, "That's the end of my life. Everything else is posthumous." And he ended up living till like 1999. Um, 98 actually. But he, I don't think he wrote anything for like five years after. He, it really, you know, he went through it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this yeah, I don't is, know how you live with that. This is really crazy. This is one of like the craziest things in literature. Six years after Sylvia Plath died, she killed herself in a stove. She stuck her head in a gas stove and killed herself. Mm-hmm. The woman he cheated on his wife with, Asha Wevel, she killed herself the same exact way. Wow. Crazy. So I think... What are the odds? I feel like all of that is rolling around in Nick's head when he's writing this song because he loves literature. This is morbid. He loves morbid shit. I, I think that contributes to the tone of the song and how dark it is. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Okay. I never. I did not view this song as dark. Cause it, I mean, it's it like feels, a black comedy. You know, there's a lot of it death. It feels funny There's to gore. Me. The liar, this liar lark is for the birds. It's enough to send you bats. Let's stay down here. Your dizzy deer will have a bunch of screaming brats. <laughs> so he never actually stayed in hell, though, right? In the in the myth. In the myth, no. The songs, yeah. the songs, basically like you can either stay in hell with your wife and not be happy, or play your music and be alone and kill everyone. So it's like a lose lose wow. situation. And given how I I I view Nick Cave as being kind of meta. I wonder how this connotation is meaningful to him as far as like killing people with your music, you know? Yeah, it might just be, you know, we're we're gearing up for Grinder Man. He might just be hitting middle age and being like, I wonder if I'm just annoying. And yeah. he might just be like, if I keep playing music, I'm just annoying people. Like maybe I should just be with my wife. I don't know. Things to think I about. I just finished um the complete works of Fante Bukowski, which by Noah Van Skyver, which I cannot recommend enough. I loved it. Like, just one of the best, like, left field things I've, I've read. Like, haven't ever read anything by Noah. Shout out, Noah. It was so good. But reading that and then reading these lyrics was so fun because writers just have this, like, way about them that is, like, so annoying and I get that kind of vibe from Nick in this song, like where it's like, these creative guys are so fucking annoying. Like just just being who you are is like annoying to people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, 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 I find that to be so funny in that like, there's so many things like in like the writers and we are writers and we write because we write. And I just picked up on so much stuff like that in this Liar of Orpheus song. Like it just, this, that's why I said it was one of the best Bad Seed songs I've heard because it just encapsulates perfectly what they, what they do. Yeah, it's almost like a requisite thing that happens to a creative person. Like you hit 40 or 50 and you're like, oh, I'm fucking annoying. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm almost through with... Uh, with what I texted you about the the New York trilogy by Paul Auster, and mm-hmm. it, it's also it's like a postmodern thing where it uses the structure of detective pulp novels mm-hmm. to uh, kind of touch on the same thing, like how writers are fucking annoying. Yeah, yeah, like Fante Bukowski would have these lines, like like basically his his whole career is made by like a stroke of luck. He's like not a very good writer, but you can't help but root for him because he's so like, he's so annoyingly like dedicated to who, like this idea of who he is, not even like really working on it, but like doing like the bare minimum and then putting in the, putting in his like real hours, like, you know, chain smoking and drinking and like sifting through trash for cigarette butts and, you know, befriending hookers and stuff like that or sex workers sorry um yeah good read and i think that uh it just that the timing of reading that and then doing this song was really good it was good timing yeah i love uh like i'm just drawn to this type of work where it's a artist making something about being an artist 
Mm-hmm. Always yeah. have been. I I think one of the 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 ideas in here that's so interesting is you know there's a simplicity to the rhyme structure and the song structure here. Like you start to pick up on it from within the first minute of the song. Like you know what's gonna what it's gonna be like. And I think it's both sort of familiar and unfamiliar territory for the Bad Seeds because most Bad Seed songs operate in this manner. Like they start in the end. There's rarely like a, there's rarely moments where it's not driving towards the ending, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I there's a, there's quotes all throughout that Fanny Bukowski book. And one of the quotes, um, gosh, the, the the person who wrote it escapes me, but it's basically like, just focus on writing the book. Don't worry about the ending because the ending is earned by the work you did on the beginning and the middle. And this song has that kind of propulsive energy where, or propulsive energy where you just go, it just goes and goes and goes and you want to see what happens to Orpheus. And it's just good. It's almost like it's good storytelling. They're really like up until this point, the bad seeds were like, Nick was a storyteller. All of his songs were about like, little like fairy tales and carols and, you know, Aesop fables, you know, and some of them didn't teach a lesson. Some of them were like, this is a really horrible person like Stagger Lee, but mm. story's really good. Yeah. I, I love the layers. Um, in that New York right. trilogy book, it's, it's three little short, tiny novels. And the first one is about this writer who has a pseudonym he writes under. Mm-hmm. And the pseudonym he writes under, he writes this uh, series of detective novels about a, a single character, like Sherlock Holmes. So there's like three characters. Mm-hmm. And then someone calls him one day who thinks he's Paul Auster, thinks he's like the, the actual author of the book. So there's like a fourth character involved. And these like four personalities are all like layered into uh, the book. And then the actual author like enters the book at the end. And it, it's just layer upon layer of like, you know, it's very postmodern. And that's the same thing I love about this song is there's layers. Y- you can think about, like, Nick putting his own experience in this song. There's all the layers of mythology. And then when you find out the Ted Hughes-Sylvia Plath connection, there's layers of that. And you can just, like, keep digging into this song. And I, I like that. Same with Stagger Lee, where it's, like, playing on traditional British folk songs and you can just like dig into all the history. There's a really good music video in this song and I don't think they did one for it, but they could make a great, like if they ever wanted to go back and like reimagine some songs and do a music video for them, this would be one of my first choices. I think season two of Sandman's got to use this song. Um, Question for you. The little like recurring motif guitar lick. Is that a guitar or is that more likely Warren playing, like plucking the violin? I think it's a guitar. I thought you were going to ask, is it a liar? Because that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'd be too on the nose. I checked the personnel and like the, the, the track listing and there's no liar listed in the credits, but I mean, it's, it looks like bazooki is the closest thing. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah. What's interesting, I never, if I knew this, I forgot it. So it's a double album, right? Right. Uh, Jim Sclavunos plays drums on the first album, and Thomas Widler plays drums on the second one. I didn't know that. Oh, I wondered about that, because there's two drummers uh, credited. Yeah, okay, speak on that. Well, that's it. That's just interesting. Yeah, I, is there any... But Sclavunos is, is listed as a co-writer for the song. This is one of the few songs that they wrote as a band. Uh, Yet he doesn't play drums. He's listed as playing percussion, but not drums. Yeah, that's interesting. Why do they do that? Like only a couple of songs on both discs have the writer credits. The rest of them are blank. Is well, if they're just... blank, it means just Nick Cave wrote it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that's how it worked. Usually, like, the liner notes will be, like, all songs written by Jake Curtis, unless otherwise indicated. Oh, okay. Man, aren't you glad I didn't pick Fable of the Brown Ape? Hmm? Aren't you glad I didn't pick Fable of the Brown Ape? 
Aren't you glad you didn't say banana? <laughs> yeah, I almost, I almost picked that song, but I, I, Liar of Orpheus was just too juicy not to talk about. I, I love this song. I was really, I was so excited when you picked it. I thought we had already done it, and I was glad that we had not. I was surprised that we hadn't done it either because I was like, this is one of the, uh, there's a lot of good tracks on these records, but because um, we've done Abattoir Blues, Let the Bells Ring, Hiding All Away. I think that's everything we, and There She Goes, My Beautiful World. That's everything we've all done bangers. on that album, right? I'm not sure. I know we've done all those. I love There She Goes, My Beautiful World. Abattoir Blues is an easy, that, that'd be on a playlist. Um, and then Breathless, uh, not my favorite, Easy Money, Love. And then have we done No Children? We have not. I didn't think so. And we haven't done any of, uh, did we do Super, we have done Supernaturally, haven't we? I can't remember. I feel like we've done that. We've gotten to the point where I can't remember what we've done. We've done a lot of songs, and we got a whole lot more to do. Um, but I think The Liar of Orpheus is definitely up there with There She Goes, My Beautiful World, and Abattoir Blues. Probably Abattoir Blues, Liar, and then There She Goes would be my order. Yeah, as I've said before, I, I hope we get this version of Nick again. I don't know if that's something he wants to do with the circumstances of like what he feels like he's contributing to the world right now. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is my favorite version of Nick Cave. I wanted to bring up something that you mentioned in the beginning about uh, Nick Lanay or Lanay being the producer who worked mm-hmm. on them like back with the birthday party and stuff. So this song felt a lot like birthday party to me because I, you, you remember when I mentioned this, like the swans, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I, I, I said that it sounded a little bit like swans and there's definitely this is like a noisier track for this era for them. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of the birthday party a little bit. Well, pretty much all of the Bad Sound Seeds wise. history, you know, that guitar part that's like, oh, mama. They don't like, the Bad Seeds are a very, they play major and minor keys and they play in key. Everything usually always sounds pretty. They, they don't really go for dissonance. Yeah. Blixa might like sometimes in the background, but like that's just Mm -hmm. not really what they do. So there's a dissonance to the guitar part that, yeah, it's just not really typical of the bad seeds. Do you know if there are any, or do you know of any like longstanding like scholars of the bad seeds? Uh, Yeah, Ian McCurtis and Jay Curtis. Besides us, do you know if there's like people who've written about the bad seeds and stuff like that? I mean, there there's a treasure trove of like early, you know, late '90s, early 2000s fan websites and stuff. Uh, but no, I don't know anyone by name. In those glory days of the internet. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was just curious. It just random question occurred to me. Um, yeah, Liar of Orpheus, great song. And there's at Super. least, I mean, there's at least a couple like fan written like books like on Nick Cave. I mean, they're definitely out there, but I'm not like familiar with specific people. You you just, you know, I was like, eh, Ian's known about him longer than I have. Maybe he, maybe he happens to know. I'm just interested in stuff like that. Now, when you go into your garden shed with a lump of wood, a piece of wire, and a little pot of glue, what do you usually come out with? I usually come out with, um, you know, you know what that makes me think of is, have you ever seen, I can't remember what it's called, it's it's one of like the first cartoons ever made, and it's like Santa in his workshop. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's that like I think so. old cartoon from like the 20s or 30s. Probably a I Fleischer. picture that, and Fleischer. I'm coming out with like a little toy horse. Fleischer. Oh, a toy horse, that's good. Oh yeah, probably looks like, uh, I, can, I can picture that, a lump of wood. That's the thing is a lump of wood? What is a lump of wood? A lump of wood, yeah. It makes me think of like sawdust that's hardened. Maybe um, you're down by the river and there's like some petrified wood that's been like, you know, eroded um, into a lump. Yeah. Yeah, like you don't really find, um, lump isn't the shape I would usually describe yeah. wood being in. That's another thing about this song is the word choice is always really good. There's so many fun moments like that where it's just like, wait, lump of wood? 
He was feeling something rotten. Yeah, it's funny stuff. Somebody once told me a good D's nuts joke in regards to the song. Have you heard it before? Uh, no. What is it? I think it's like, did you hear about Orpheus's wife, Eurydice's? Mm-hmm. Eurydice's nuts. <laughs> Have you ever heard the one about your favorite Mormon alternative rock band? The Killers? No, the other one. No, which band? Imagine Dragon These Nuts. Imagine Dragon These Nuts. That's a good one, too. When are we going to do our episode about Imagine Dragons? I'll have Robert on. Uh, that'll be when I'm on vacation in hell. Isn't that where you're going today? Yeah. You had to record these earlier because you're sick, but I know you got your two tickets to hell. I'm going there with uh, Jack Black and Devil Dave Grohl. Dude, that would be an awesome trip to hell. Mm-hmm. I'm like kicking myself for not going to see that Mario Brothers movie because um, Jack Black looks like he's just crushed it in the Bowser role. I saw it. I don't think you. I don't think you missed anything. You saw it? Mm-hmm. When'd you see it? You didn't tell me. Last Monday. Wow. Oh, good timing because my because I wouldn't have been able to go anyway. You son of a bitch. It, it, I mean, it, it, it's like a good homage to the games. There's like a ton of, but like you can watch it at home. You're not, it, it's not anything. I like yeah. how the stinger at the end of the movie was a Yoshi egg when the trailers had Yoshis in them. But it's yeah. not Yoshi, you know. I've, I've found that a little weird too. There, there's a cut scene of them traveling and they travel through a land of Yoshis. Mm-hmm. Just like for a second, but you see them, so it's not even that big of a surprise to see the egg. I, I don't know. I thought it was a little weird too. Yeah, but um, I'll. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about Liar Vorfrius? I'm going to do just a quick live music corner. Go for it. So uh, it's kind of a more alternative live music corner, and I'm not talking like Radiohead or Smashing Pumpkins or whatever you consider alternative. Uh, so I got. My girlfriend Haley tickets to go see Adam Sandler at the Yum Center. And Ian had kind of gotten me a little excited because he told me that there were be there were supposedly guest uh, headliners or not headliners openers and um, or surprise guest he- uh, openers. And so you know I was like, oh you know I think maybe it'll be John Mulaney because he's like. I could see him kind of being a part of that, you know, comedy camp with like Adam Sandler because they both play at the um, Largo in Los Angeles. And so uh, we got, we ended up with uh, some guy named Joseph um, Levenstein or something like that. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get his name, but he was pretty funny. He kind of just was like, looked like Pete Davidson, had the same kind of vibe. and then Rob Schneider came out as the official opener, which was kind of a bummer, a little cringy. But Adam Sandler really brought the heat. Uh, one of the best performances I've seen uh, as far as like he had like five or six different guitars and a bass. Um, and they transitioned really seamlessly between like stand up and songs. And all the songs are really funny. I'd even be willing to say that like they went into like Tim and Eric territory at some points, like. Um, it got a little surreal at times, but he just did a lot of material about getting older, his kids. Um, he kept it pretty middle of the road. I don't think Adam Sandler's ever really been a political comedian. Um, it was a good time and the Yum Center was really great. And honestly, I'd, I'd love to see like a musician play there cause I thought the sound was pretty good and, um, it was parking was fine. So yeah, it, it was cool. It wasn't like, you know, like mind blowing. Like I'm sure it'll be to see like the cure, or like a band there, but yeah, it was really cool. So yeah, that's my live music corner. Did he do the Hanukkah song? He did not. We were surprised. What? He didn't do that at all. There was no Hanukkah song. What? I think he gets that. That was the other thing that Maybe was just around Christmas surreal. time or Hanukkah. Time. I have, I haven't been to a stand-up show before. Obviously, Adam Sandler is like one of the biggest celebrities ever, and especially in comedy. People would just start yelling at him during his set. Oh, Doyle Rules! Mr. Deeds! Like, they would just call out, they just say the names of movies that he'd done. <laughs> I'm a fan. It was crazy. I think it's a Kentucky thing. I think it's because, like, 
this is like a huge event for these people who like probably drove out from like Hopkinsville or wherever, you know, Henry County. And like, they've been watching his movies for years, but I just was like kind of surrounded by these people. I was just like, really? That's what like, you're going to, that's what you want to do right now. You just want to like yell out like things that happened in his old movies from like 30 years ago. Um, he did make a joke that he, his, that he referenced uh, Uncut Gems in, which I was happy about because I wore my Uncut Gem shirt. Hell yeah. I've not been to a concert in, in like a month, which is a long time for me, but once we hit the summer, I got, I'll be going like something every week, so I'll have a lot of live music corners. Yeah, I'm trying to convince my brother to buy me a ticket and I, uh, to go see JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown because I'm worried it's going to sell out. And I'm going to miss that. Really... I'm really sad. Why? I've already bought. There's too many shows this summer. I've already bought tickets to see Big Thief that day. Oh, that's probably going to be a better show anyway. I don't know, dude. J, I JPEG Mafia is probably the best rapper I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I just mean. And I've seen I've seen a good amount of rappers. Like more of a big deal, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah, I'm really. Um, I, I wish I could be uh, Hermione and Prisoner of Azkaban and be two places at once. I, maybe uh, Haley asked me to send her some ideas for my birthday. Maybe I'll be like, oh, you could buy tickets to this for me because I can't afford them right now. Um, I think she'd have a good time. Peggy's so captivating live. You don't even have to like the music to like the show. Yeah. I mean, she. I think she likes Danny Brown. She. I don't know. She's probably heard me play JPEG Mafia in the car a couple times, but um, I'm tr- I, I would probably prefer I, – I feel like Jeff would probably prefer to go with me if – like everybody didn't go because he actually knows JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown a little bit better than her. But I imagine yeah, Trav, Trav will probably go. Trav? Oh, Travis. I don't know why I blanked on that for a second. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Lyra Forfius, Nick Haven, the Bad Seeds. Ian, you, you got anything else you want to say? I want to say thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for all the research that Blue, the intern dog, did for this episode because it was quite a bit. Shout out to Sylvia Plath and The Bell Jar, one of my favorite books. Shout out to Nick Lanay. Shout out to Thomas Weidler. And good night and good luck. Peace out. Look what I've made, cried Orpheus, and he plucked a gentle note. Eurydice's eyes pop from their sockets, and her tongue burst through her throat. Oh, mama. God, what have I done, he said, as her blood pooled in the sheet.